Thank you, Richard, I, I think, yeah. Well, welcome again. Let's just pray, and then I'm going to get straight into God's Word for today. Lord God, we want to say thank you to you because, uh, Lord, you, uh, you have given us your written Word, but by your Spirit, you apply it and speak to our hearts. There's something about your Word, Lord God, which, which just uh, cultivates hope and faith within us. Your word is truly living. And Lord, as I, as I share over these next 25 minutes or so, Lord, I pray that something will rise up within us, that deep will call out to deep. deep. That deepness that is in you will somehow resonate with something deep within us. And that, Lord God, faith will rise up. And so come now, Holy Spirit, and help me to, to speak your word. And please, Holy Spirit, move on your word. And everyone said, Amen. Well, this sermon, uh, do you know, I I wrote this on Tuesday and needed to do that because, unfortunately, we had a a family funeral this week, and so the family and I had to shoot down to uh, Helston in Cornwall to um, join with other family members and and bury my stepfather. And uh, so I wrote this on Tuesday and was very happy with it. But I've been through so much, such a gamut of emotion and experience since then. It's been, it's been quite something. And uh, when I looked at the word this morning, I just didn't recognize it. I thought, well, on earth did I get that from? So I kind of hacked it around a bit for the first service and wasn't happy with that. And I'm going to hack it around a bit now. We'll see whether something good comes out of it. But let me just begin by, by actually asking you a question. Supposing... You inherited a million pounds. There's a few smiles there. Supposing you inherited a million pounds. Have you ever thought what you would do if you suddenly got a lot of money? Anybody done that before? Yeah. I tell you what, just turn to your neighbor and tell each other what you would do if you had a million pounds. Do it. Go on. Well, that got you all chatting and animated and all the rest of it. I like the ones I heard somebody say, we'll give it to Chris. Oh, yeah, we'll give it to Chris. <laughs> you know, the, the truth of the matter is, I, I think money is in, in some way unique in this respect. But if you were to suddenly come into a lot of money for whatever reason, people have ideas uh, about what they would do with it. And, and you, we know that money is to be used. At least that's how we see it. We're, we're not a great saving culture, are we? So we're told. We, we want to use it. We want to make it work for us and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, we've all got little dream schemes that we would do if suddenly, you know, we inherited a million pounds. Obviously, I'm talking about inheritance because I've just, we've just buried my stepfather. And some of you know that, that there's a little story about that in that shortly after my mother died, my stepfather, whom, you know, wasn't a bad man by any stretch of the imagination, nonetheless, he and I, you know, we found it difficult. He had three, three blood sons and then there was me. And, you know, after a rather difficult sort of family kind of altercation shortly after my mother died 15, 13 years ago, he, he made it perfectly clear that I was not his son and I could expect no inheritance. I wouldn't say I was surprised about that, but somehow it, it did affect me. It, it did hurt, I, I, I'll be honest with you. And I, I remember very clearly, uh, I got this letter from him uh, one Monday, as I say, about 13 years ago or so, 12 or 13 years ago, and, and he just sort of laid it out, and it was 
just a little too in my face and it, 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 it hurt me. So I'm up in the study and I'm thinking, of, I'm, I'm reflecting upon this and I'm saying, oh God, you know, uh, you know, I, this is what I think about that and this is what I think about the other and I'm kind of reflecting anyway. In the midst of my deliberation, suddenly Fliss calls up the stairs and says, you know, Chris, I'm sorry, we're going to have to talk about this later. We really do need to go. And what was happening on that particular Monday was that we were going down to Newbury to visit my old music teacher. We've kept in touch all of these years. He played the organ at our wedding. I, I, we, we, I don't know why, you know, he's a bit of a cantankerous, difficult character, but somehow we've kept in touch and there's a, a little bit of affection, I have to say. And some of you know the story. We went down there that day and went out for a nice meal in a pub and then we came back. And when we came back for coffee at his house, he suddenly said to me, he said, Chris, can I have a quiet word with you? And uh, I said, of course. And uh, we went into his rather formal dining room, you know, rather cold and unlived in. And he's at one end and I'm at the other. And, and he's hopping from foot to foot, looking a bit awkward. And I honestly thought, I'd never seen him like this. And I, I thought, What's the matter with him? And then I thought, I know. He's, he's ill and he's telling me he's dying because he's an older gentleman, you know, bachelor. And then he says, well, Chris, um, we've known each other years now. And um, I, I wonder whether you would do me the honor. That was the expression. It sounded like a proposal. I was going to get married or something. He said, I wonder if you would do me the honor of being my heir. I couldn't quite, what? And he said, I, you know, I, I, I've never married. I, I, my family's all died. And to be perfectly honest with you, I've come to regard you as my son. And I wonder whether you would do me the honor of being my heir. I didn't know what to say. I mean, in any case, in any situation, I wouldn't know what to say. But that was the day, only three hours previously, that I had been considering this final ultimatum-style letter from my stepfather, who was saying, sorry, Chuck, you're out. I was staggered by what was being said to me, but I was also staggered by the fact that the Lord, this gentleman, dear Michael, didn't know anything about this carrying on with my family. He was completely oblivious to this inheritance issue that had cropped up. But for me, as a follower of Jesus, I was staggered by the, the way the Lord had just swept in, as if to say, that ain't going to happen. You're my son, and there is going to be an inheritance in this. And he prompted dear Michael to own me as his heir. And that wasn't the end of it. He said to me then, he said, and, and if you will grant me that, I, I would love as a sort of a promise, as a practical outworking of, the, of this offer of an inheritance, I, I would be honored, and that was the word he used again, I would be honored if you would receive this family heirloom. And he handed over this, this diamond ring to me. Now, I used to be a jeweler. That is about a one carat diamond ring. I don't wear it because, to be honest with you, 
to be perfectly honest with you, if you can keep a secret, it's a bit too bling for me. I'm not in the habit of wearing diamond jewelry. But I've worn it today because this week I buried my stepfather. I actually ended up carrying the coffin. God bless him. And it's all a bit fresh in my mind. And I wanted to honor the promise that Father made me through Michael that day. And, give, and so I'm wearing it today. Now all of that is in part to help me get that out of my mind so I can, I can serve you with God's word today. But it struck me, and this is why it all took a bit of a funny turn, that, that actually I think there's a word for every single one of you here. Now, some of you have been followers of Jesus for a very long time, and you love God's word, and you've, you know, like me, you, you, you mark your Bibles, and you fill it in, and maybe you journal. I do a bit of that as well, and I have done for many years. You know, you kind of write little things down, and maybe you sort of put Bible verses on the fridge or in your car, you know, and, you know, mind your backs and all that kind of stuff. You know, maybe you value and treasure God's word in that way, but the I think the word I want to say to you, and I want God, uh, and I believe God is wanting to say to us and to you as individuals, is that there are promises over your life. And there is a sense of timing and season and all of that. I mean, just like an inheritance, you know. But the truth of the matter is, in terms of God's kingdom, God's promises have to be activated. They have to be activated. Something needs to happen. There needs to be a response from you that will cause that promise, whatever that promise is over your life, to to, to come into action. I I, I tried to think of of, of an example, uh, you know, sort of which wasn't religious that would might convey this and I'm not sure whether this is terribly good but let me give it a try it might work for you how many of you have ever had a pot noodle who hasn't had a pot noodle (laughs) some of you well a pot noodle for those of you who have lived on an island in the middle of the Pacific and never seen pot noodles a pot noodle is just a plastic pot you get in the supermarket And when you tear the top open, on the outside it says chow mein or something like that. And you think, ooh, that looks nice. (laughs) And you look in the pot and there's this thing that looks like an old bird's nest. (laughs) You know what I mean? It looks particularly unappetizing. And what it is, is it's super dehydrated. Gunk. Looking basically like a bird's nest. But if you pour boiling water into it, up to the mark on the side of the pot, no more, something, nothing short of miraculous takes place. Suddenly this unappetizing lump of dried up bird's nest kind of goes, and it becomes a delicious, gourmet, feast if you haven't had one you need to get one the point of the illustration is simply to say this I'll be honest it does look disgusting you wouldn't want to eat it if somebody paid you it needs to be activated and God's promises are like that and I think what concerns me about the people of God 
what concerns me about the church of God, what concerns me about the kingdom of God, is that we're kind of collecting promises. We'll take that word of comfort and that word of comfort, and it sort of helps us get through the day and all the rest of it. But we don't realize that God's word has to be acted upon, and it's only as we act upon God's word that suddenly it begins to kick in. You got it? I hope so. So this series... This mini-series is called The Call. Only this series is somewhat different because we will make reference to The Call throughout this year by virtue of the fact that it's our 25th anniversary. And I love what our graphic designers in the church have, have done with this and there's various other bits and variations on this but the core is that thing in the center there. 25 years, 1988 to 2013, the core, Luke 4, 18 and 19, St. Albans Vineyard Church. You know, we're going to put that on, I think we're going to have some t-shirts. I'm excited about that. Are you excited about that? You don't look very excited. <laughs> By the end of this year, you'll all be, you'll all be wearing t-shirts with the call on I hope but the truth of the matter is part of this 25th year celebration is is giving thanks to God for what he has done for us because truly those of you who've been around for a while will know it is only God that has called all this into being it it could only be God that brought all this into being But also, it's not just retrospective, and it is right and proper that we look back and give thanks. It says that we should do that in God's word. Because it's as we look back at where we've come and what, you know, God's faithfulness in the past that that we realize just what an extraordinary thing he has done. But also, reflecting upon the call, the promises that God made to us all those years ago. And we're going to look at a passage which for us was full of promise when we first started this church. As we look at those promises, we can ask ourselves, what more do we need to do? Or what do we need to do now that is going to extend our reach? You know, what what is God wanting to bless us with? What promises does he want us to activate in order to shower his blessing, his provision, and his protection upon us? What do we need to do? What step of faith do we need to take in order to see more of this wonder that we call the kingdom of God active and present among us? So that's going to be something we're going to be dipping in and out of throughout this year. Now one of those, that verse there, Luke 4 chapter, uh, Luke chapter 4 verses 18 and 19, we frequently reference to that because it's become part of the, the sort of warp and weft of us. And Dennis mentioned it a few weeks, uh, a couple of weeks ago and we, we, we do it all the time. Some of you know exactly what that means, others don't. Uh, just in summary, now in the last, last service I read the whole thing out, I'm not going to do that this time, I'm going to do something slightly different. But... But basically, Luke 4.18 is where Jesus, right at the beginning of his ministry, he reads from the prophet Isaiah 61. and He reads this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, etc., 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 and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So that's shorthand, Luke 4.18 and 19 is shorthand for Jesus' proclamation. And we've taken that on board as a church saying, well, that's what Jesus said he was going to do, so that's what we're going to try and do. But what I wanted to do now 
is actually read Isaiah 61. Not all of it, but most of it. I want to read this partly because it's the passage Jesus is referring to, but also because I want you to grasp just how much of a a promise that God laid upon this church right at the beginning. I, I want you to grasp the magnitude of the call that was laid upon us when you know, the first few people started this, this thing called Vineyard in St. Albans. We were nobody. We had nothing except the call, that promise. And based upon his word to us, we set about doing whatever we could to see that come to pass. So let's just read it now. There's some stuff that's been fulfilled and there's stuff that's still to be fulfilled and that's part of the excitement of it. So Isaiah 61, if you're, it'll come up on the screen I think, but also if you've got it on your blackberries, you can follow it there. And uh, imagine, imagine us then and imagine Jesus in Nazareth in the synagogue opening up the scroll and turning to Isaiah 61. And this is what was found there. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, And provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places along, long devastated. And they will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And strangers will shepherd your flocks and foreigners will work with your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. And you will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of a disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land. And everlasting joy will be yours. We'll stop there. Can you imagine with me, can you recall with me, the precocious, pretentious, Arrogance, if you will, some sort of arrogance, that a little group who was starting nothing in St. Albans felt in those days when all we had was this passage and others like it. This was the kind of thing that we were writing down. This was the kind of word and something I talked about deep calling out to deep. Something deep within us when we read that didn't make, we found ourselves saying to one another, not just, oh, it's all right for them. Suddenly we felt it was God speaking to us. 
And as we began in our, in our 30s as it was then, this, this adventure we call Vineyard, pursuing the core, as we did that, it was these kind of verses that seemed to come alive to us. There are a number of themes there which if I had time I could unpack. There was the whole business of, you know, they will be called oaks of righteousness. We loved that because, of course, you know, the oak tree, mighty oak, but begins with the acorn. And we felt like a little insignificant acorn in danger of being carried away by the first manky squirrel that loped across the grass. But we knew from little things like oaks, great trees grew. And we said, God, if you would do that for us, if you would do that in us, that would be wonderful. And it goes on. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. We felt like God was planting us out. We were leaving that which was familiar. We were leaving that which was known. We, was, we were leaving that which had reputation in the kingdom of God. And we were becoming insignificant. And yet we felt like it was God who was in this thing. And God is still in this thing. We felt like he was planting us. And the purpose? To display his glory, his splendor. It was an extraordinary thing. I note this morning as I read it, and it wasn't something I was planning to know, the talk of inheritance. You will inherit a double portion. There it is, that theme again. So we, we fed off things like this and believing it and daring to believe it rather than just sort of hide it away in some precious spot. Daring to believe it meant that we began to structure our lives around it. We began to forego certain things. We began to make sacrifices. We began to you know, build our lives around trying to do whatever we could to facilitate whatever it was that God wanted to do. And that's what I really want you to hear. There are promises over your lives. Recall what they are. And what can you do how can you position yourself in 2013 to see these things activated like that pot noodle? I, I, I don't mind telling you, and many of you know this, you know, you all, many of you know all my stories, but we nearly, talk about knocking yourself out, we nearly killed ourselves those first few months, those first few years. Running jobs and day jobs and doing this, that, and the other. I was painting and decorating, etc., etc. We all were. We were all, we were all doing day jobs in order to try and raise the money and make the money, just so that we could afford to hire a, a, a hall on a Sunday and buy a bit of a equipment and stuff. I mean, it was hand to mouth. There were days, you know, particularly when I broke my leg in in, in uh, at a conference. I made a fell down a, a, a step awkwardly, I broke my leg, and I thought, that's it, we're done for. Because everything was just hand to mouth. You know, the money came in and it went out, and it went out on a clavinova keyboard, and it went out on rent. The next week it was, it was a bit of a sound system. The next week it was more coffee for the coffee, because we were giving more coffee away than we, we knew that there was coffee in the world, you know. And, and it was just all like that. It was just desperate, but also incredibly exciting as we began to see people coming towards us who were broken. 
people who were grieving, people who needed healing. And we knew we couldn't answer those prayers. We, we knew there was nothing in us, only that we were trying to activate God's blessing because that's what he had said he would do. I remember one particular Sunday, six years in, boy, I had a lot of energy in those days and I could run with a thing forever. I remember one Sunday we were up at Stags. We'd been at various venues and we were finally up at Stags, the St. Albans Girls' School. And, and at that time, everybody did everything. And my everything was a list as long as your arm. My day would begin by getting up often before light to prepare God's word. And then when I'd done that, chuck a few clothes on, I'd go and get our tower van. It's a great big sort of van which we towed with our, our car. And it was full of sound equipment. Used to keep it up at Christ Church, Church High Oaks. And then we would tow that over to the school. And then I would get all the sound equipment out and we'd put all that up. And, and sometimes I'd even leave worship, believe it or not. Whew. But usually I would escape at that point, a rush home, jump in the shower, eat a piece of toast and come out and then I would do all the eyes and teeth and welcome and shake hands and kiss the babies and all that kind of thing and then lead the services and I give the notices and then I get up and preach the word and then I tow the flow of van back. I mean, it was just unbelievable. It was, but I wasn't the only one, don't get me wrong. We were all crazily busy, John and Linda and the Kirkmans and you remember those days? I mean, gosh, truth, how we didn't all have a heart attack, I do not know. But there was one morning where it was in the middle of the worship and I had had a particularly tough week. I think it was six years in so I'd have gone, I would have been on the payroll for the first few years. I wasn't even on the payroll. just did it on top of everything else. I remember this particular morning very, very clear in my mind and halfway through the worship suddenly the energy just drained. I hit a wall. And it was my habit, rather as it is now, to kind of enter into worship and all that kind of thing. But I suddenly just felt exhausted. And I knew that in a few minutes I'd be giving the notices and I would be preaching. I sunk to my knees at the front of church. All the worship was going on. I just said, God, I don't think I can do this anymore. And I was shocked and humiliated by the admission. Because I said, this is for life and all the rest. And I suddenly thought, I just thought, I just don't have the strength. It's like pushing an elephant up a hill. I can't do this anymore. And I felt in that moment something I'd not felt for a long while because, to be frank, I'd been too busy doing church rather than being church. But I felt like the Lord came up to me, and this is absolutely the truth, make of this what you will. And I was like this on my knees in front of church, and I felt, I thought, I actually thought someone had put a hand on my shoulder. So I went like, and nobody had. But I felt like a hand on my shoulder. And I felt the Lord say to me, just rest up. Take your breath. What do you hear? Those three things. Just rest up. Take your breath. What do you hear? And I realized I was having a moment with the Lord, that the Lord had drawn close to me because God is with us. And I said to the Lord, and I listened, and I thought, well, what, do I, what, do I, what do I hear? Well, well I hear the worship band, and I, I, hear, I, you know, I hear people singing, and what am I supposed to hear? I thought, am I supposed to be hearing angels or what? So I said to the Lord, I said, well, I hear the worship band, and I hear the singing. 
And then he said, this is what he said, his words, not mine. He said, this is our baby. And I remember in that moment, I had four kids at that point. I remember the first time my eldest daughter, Noelle, came home from hospital way before all this Christianity thing kicked off for me. And I remember being down the bottom of the stairs and Fliss being up in the nursery. We had a lovely house in Yorkshire in those days. And Fliss was up in the nursery feeding Noel, And I was at the bottom of the stairs. She'd only been in the house 20 minutes having brought the baby back from hospital. And I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing. So I'm stood at the bottom of the stairs and I can hear this baby crying. And our old Labrador was stood next to me there looking up the stairs like that. So we're both of us like like that. (laughs) And I thought, that's our baby. And the dog went, (laughs) honestly, it's true. He was glorious with them, but he he knew it was going to change our lives forever. The Lord kind of took me back to that moment and realized that, and in that moment I realized that for all my running around, all my exertion, all our sacrifice, all our trying to pursue this, the call. Let's have that image back up again, Matt. I love it. All that push, 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 which is what needed to happen. I don't deny. I, I, I wouldn't do it any other, diff- any other way. But, but there comes a point where the promise is activated. Where suddenly it's not my church It's not our church, it's his church, and it's here. Something that was just a twinkle in his eye, an Isaiah 61 promise, which he cast out there hoping that someone would be foolish enough, reckless enough, crazy enough to catch hold of it and say, what's this? Wow. Wow. This looks amazing. This is worth giving your life for. So my word to us today, with so much to look back on and thank God for, and so much of that having been fulfilled, is almost the old cliche, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And in this 25th year of following the call that brought the vineyard into being, God has promises which he's waiting for us to activate. And that's the invitation to us this year. It's a year of God's favor. I truly believe that. He's totally into anniversaries. Just read God's word. He's totally into them. He remembers when we forget. And in this 25th year of our anniversary, a year of God's favor, so help me God, what wonders, what Aspects of Isaiah 61, Luke 4, 18 and 19, is God going to work out among us? I'm excited, yes, you can see. 
but my faith is in him. And my belief is he will display his splendor among us. Amen? Amen. Let's have the worship team back up as I, as I pray. Why don't we all stand? I'm going to continue this message next week. It's only half of what I felt the Lord gave me for the beginning of this year. Right. Lord, I want to say thank you to you because it is absolutely your faithfulness that has brought us to this point in time and made us what we are. But the promise still hangs there, blowing around in the the wind. The promise is waiting to be caught by someone. It's like a seed, a helicopter seed floating on the winds, waiting to be captured and brought to earth and where it'll take root. And you are looking for those who will answer the call and give themselves to something bigger than themselves. And in so doing, know the display of your splendor and your kingdom come. Amen.